Thank you, team, so much and uh, for leading us. And uh, God is so, so good. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. And we are continuing in our series through this incredible book. And uh, just kind of as a frame for the book of Acts, that we are reminded that the book of Acts is the story of God's Spirit working out His purposes for His glory through His church that He rescued with His once and for all sacrifice on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. And through the book of Acts, we see uh, the Spirit empowering that early church, those believers, to take the news about Jesus literally all over the world. And there's a lot that's happened between when we first opened in Acts 1 to, to Acts chapter 3 today and just a kind of a quick um, context for what's happening is that Acts 1 opens up with the resurrected Christ spending 40 days and he's pouring into his, uh, to his disciples, to his apostles. The Bible tells us that he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and so he's talking about the rule and reign of God. This is what he is teaching them about. He tells them that in not many days from now that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit so they will be identified in Him and with Him. Uh, that He tells them that, that the Holy Spirit is going is to come upon them and empower them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, Peter, under the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, he preaches a God-honoring, Christ-centered message on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that 3,000 people on that day repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. That it was there that we see that the uh, early apostles, that early church, now 3,120 of them, are, are devoting themselves, and they're devoting themselves, and they're committed to the apostles' teaching, which is the Word of God. They're devoted to fellowship, they're devoted to the breaking of bread, and they're devoted to prayers. You see that the mark of their life was one of great sacrifice and one of great generosity. And the Bible says that day by day they would go and they would worship at the temple and that they would also gather in homes. And in Acts chapter 3, what we see is the very first miracle that an apostle um, takes part in. And so it's at this incredible scene that we're going to be a part of that I am reminded, and I think we're reminded as we open Scripture, is for Peter and John, who we'll be reading about, this was an ordinary day. That this was, this was I don't know even what day of the week this might have been, but, but, but I would compare it to any other day that we might wake up on. And they had really no idea what they were all going to experience and encounter in this day. So much so that with every day God graces us and gifts us that we are stewarded with that we have no idea the adventure that God may be desiring for us to live out and to share His love with other people. But today what we are going to see is an everyday encounter and it sets off this chain reaction of events. It's like if you had a row of dominoes. The, 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 the miracle that we're going to read about is kind of like that first domino that gets hit and we just see the chain reaction of this impact of 
Jesus Christ's radical work in this brother's life. And so the kind of idea for today, and I, I hope it's an encouraging one, I hope it's one that challenges us, but it's this kind of main idea is that everyday encounters have eternal possibilities. Everyday encounters have eternal possibilities. In chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to jump right in this morning, and the Bible says this, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, and it was the ninth hour. Now Acts 2 gave us a heads up that, that they would go to the temple day by day. It was no issue or problem for a believer there in that early church to go to the Jewish temple to worship there in Jerusalem, 32-acre complex. I mean, this place was incredible, and so the early church, radically saved by the grace of God, they're going to the Jewish temple, and they're going to worship. Christ was the, the king of the Jews. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's the Messiah of all people. He's the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. He's the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, and so they're going to worship King Jesus at the temple, and it wasn't until a little later, and we'll see it as they begin to be pushed out and excluded from temple worship. But here, they're going to the temple, and they're going to worship, and it was the ninth hour. It was the hour of prayer. Psalm 55 talks about how Jews would gather uh, three specific times for prayer, morning, noon, and evening, that in the Jewish time, reckoning of time, 6 a.m. would kind of be the start of the day, so that's like the first hour, the ninth, 9 a.m. would be that Kind of that, that, that third hour, noon would be the sixth hour, 3 p.m. would be the ninth hour. And Daniel chapter 6 in the Old Testament, if you open up, you'll know Daniel, very disciplined in his prayer life, very devoted in his prayer life. Three times a day he would go up and he would, he would look out the window praying towards Jerusalem on three times in the day. And so they're going up for, for prayer. They're going up for prayer. Verse 2 says, And a lame man from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. This story doesn't end in chapter 3. It actually pours into chapter 4. In verse 22 of 4, it says that this brother had suffered in this shape for 40 years. Over 40 years. That this brother did not have a typical childhood experience. That he never stood up on his own feet. He never ran. He never played tag. He never skipped. That this brother, everything around his life was, was, was dependent on other people helping him along the way. That, that his lower body was in many ways lifeless. He was a beggar. And this is how he spent his day is other people, dependent on other people, would go and they would place him at this gate called Beautiful, which would have been like kind of the, the main gate of the temple, 75 feet tall, Corinthian brass. I mean, this, 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 this gate was, was incredible. And they would sit him there every day and he would beg. He would beg. And, and, and I don't know this for sure, but I just wonder, they talk about putting him out there daily. I just wonder, uh, it's very likely that Christ, when he would go and he would enter the temple, that he would see this brother, that he would understand and he would see and, and even pass by and, and with this perfect knowledge, this perfect 
foreknowledge of absolutely everything, that, that there wasn't this like, just, just hold on, man. Just, Peter and John are coming. I don't, I don't know that, but, 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 but his purposes will be carried out. His purposes will be revealed. And so, two observations that I want us to make regarding this text uh, is, that, is that here we see Peter and John are living life with a sensitivity to God's activity. They're living with a sensitivity to God's activity. These are going to be two observations that help us kind of keep in mind that, that everyday encounters have eternal possibilities. These brothers walked around, Peter and John, with a knowledge and a reality that God is at work all around them. That as believers, we can take great hope and great encouragement to know that God is at work all around us, carrying out His purposes, working to accomplish His purposes. They lived in that way. His presence affected them and affected how they went about their daily lives. I was reflecting back 15 years ago. I got in a car and I drove down to Lakeland, Florida, where I was going to be serving on a student ministry team down there. And for the first seven months of my time down there in Lakeland, I lived with a family. And it was the Bryant family. And I love the Bryants. They are just some of the sweetest people in the world. And so uh, I lived with them for the first seven months I was there. And, and Mr. Brad, who was the dad, he was a professional golfer. He played on the PGA Tour, played uh, on the Champions Tour. And, and I love sports. I am horrible at sports, but I love sports. I like playing anything. Uh, and I'm really bad at all sports, but I'm especially bad at golf. Like, really, really bad. But, but Mr. Brad said, hey, Jerry, like, why don't I... You want to go play golf? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be incredible. I mean, how often do you get to go play with a pro? So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And so I will never forget, it is etched in my brain. I'm squared up on the first tee. And all I can think about is, there's a professional golfer <laughs> that is standing right behind me. And he is watching every single thing that I do. And all that is in my head, anybody get in their head sometime? I'm in my head. I'm thinking, I'm going to choke. I'm going to choke, I'm going to choke, I'm going to shank it, I'm going to shank it, I'm going to choke, and sure enough, I choked. I mean, I just choked. But the whole thing, I choked all day. <laughs> like, I never, like, sometimes you just hit maybe one good shot. I choked the whole time. Because in my, my whole deal, my whole, the, I could not get his presence and being in his presence out of my head. And what I see is that Peter and John that they were devoted, what, to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking bread. They were devoted to prayer. They gathered daily in worship. They're gathering in homes. They're living generously. They're living sacrificially. It was these private disciplines that poured over into their kind of everyday lives. And what it did was they were more sensitive to God's work around them. Even just this week, I met with my D group, met with two guys, and we meet... And we were walking through the Word together, and one of the guys in my group, they said, you know, they try to each morning, before they get their day started, they have about 15 minutes, shut their door in their office, they'll read the Word. He said it was after that, he opened his, his door, and, and some of his co-workers came in, they had a question, they needed help. And he said because of what he read there just a few moments earlier, it shaped the way he interacted with his co-workers, with those who were he was working with. And, and the, 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 the connection is it was this private devotion 
that led to this public awareness. They were aware of God's activity. And so by God's grace, as we tether ourselves to His Word and worship and pray and share life, that this has an impact on our daily lives. And it did with them. They had a discernment of God's activity. Verse 4 says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Look at us. Not taking polls this morning. But let's imagine there is a beggar. And that beggar might be at a street corner. That beggar might be right there in the middle of the intersection. How many of us look up and we look down and we do everything we can not to make eye contact? That we may even merge over to the other side of the lane. And so, in other words, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't feel whether, whatever the feeling would be. We just, we just kind of want to keep going. We want to keep going. We want to keep going. But divine appointments are opportunities, not disruptions. And what Peter and John do is they go the exact opposite and they jump into the brokenness. They have great compassion and they tell this brother, look at me. They look at him, look at us. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Sensitive to God's activity around them. Living in the overflow of this relational investment with a relationship with King Jesus, His Word, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, living generously, living sacrificially, worshiping the temple and in the... And in the houses, they, are, they, are, they have this awareness that God is at work all around them. And they are, they are jumping in in compassion. And remember, Dr. Luke is the writer of this book. So he's a physician. And he's using medical language, talking about his feet and ankles being made strong. But you think about it, this brother was looking for a handout. And he got a healing. That he was looking for coins. If he could just get more coins, then that's going to satisfy his need. But God had another plan. That in God's gracious, sovereign care and provision, that God did a work of healing in this man's life to fulfill his purposes. And later, later little does he or Peter or John realize that, that this is a chain reaction. And what's going to happen in the, the, the verses that follow and even the rest of the day. Verse 8 says, and leaping up, he stood up and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I, I, this is like understatement here. I mean, I don't know how we can really understand what that must have been like. But for 40, over 40 years, this brother suffered. And now, in God's grace, this miracle has happened personally to him. And he is standing. And he is leaping. And he is walking, praising God. Verse 9, And all the people saw him and walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together 
to them in the portico called Solomon's Porch. They had seen this brother day by day, sitting, laying by the beautiful gate, begging for alms. And now all of a sudden, all these masses of people are being like, that's the guy. That's the guy that sits every day. And they're astounded and they're in awe. And so what happens is they make their way and they want to find out what happened. What's going on? The portico called Solomon's there on the temple complex. There would have been this, this porch area that, 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 that was found kind of on the edges of the, of the temple um, property there. And so whether it was the sun bearing down or whether it was inclement weather, they would gather and they would open the scriptures and they would read and they would worship. But Peter and John were sensitive. They know God is at work and they're engaging in this man's brokenness. But a second observation is this, is that they are seizing everyday conversations to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're sensitive to his activity, but they're also seizing these conversations to share Jesus. Verse 12 says, and when Peter saw it, so he's, he's sensitive, right? He's seeing what's going on. He's saying, this is an opportunity God has provided this opportunity, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Peter knows his audience. Where is he at? He's at the temple. Who's around? Jews. You got Jewish leaders, you got Pharisees, you got Sadducees. He knows who he's talking to and he is about to lay it on thick. He's going to lay it on thick. And he begins by saying that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, remember the the apostles were, were Jewish. They were Jewish believers. And he says... They glorified His servant, Jesus. These Old Testament, or these Jews would have treasured the Old Testament prophecies and Isaiah. Their hearts would have connected. Perhaps they're making, they're starting to connect the dots. Because because when He refers to Christ as God's servant, that this would have connected to Isaiah. There are four what's called servant songs in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and then 52 through 53. These are servant songs. The Messiah will be a servant. Isaiah 53 verses 3 through 5 says this. This would have been kind of tattooed on their heart. They would have treasured these Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah said this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. And so He's making the connections. And so He doesn't just stop there. But He goes on in verse 14. He says, But you, you denied the Holy and Righteous One. Again, this would have connected to 
the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53 verse 11, referring to Christ the Messiah as the Holy and Righteous One. He says, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In the Passion Week, you may be familiar, but Christ is there with Pilate. Pilate, no doubt, is trying to find some way to clear his conscience. And so he has this idea. He'll present Christ and Barabbas, this kind of wicked, far from God. Surely the people will, will, will choose to release Christ and Barabbas stay. And so this kind of releasing of the prisoner, the people vote. But what do the people vote for? They shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify the Christ. He says that you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Peter was always intentional to share the good news. To share that the tomb is empty. That, that in our gospel conversations, that we don't just stop at the cross, but we celebrate the empty tomb. God giving victory over death, hell, and the grave. That He is he is sharing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In verse 16, he says, And his name, Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now, who you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter is very careful. He is not taking any credit for himself. That any time that there is a work of God, there is, there is one who is worthy of praise, and it is the Lord. That he is, he is giving all the glory to God. It was Jesus that gave this man perfect health. It was His grace. It was His provision. It was His mercy. That this miracle was instant. It wasn't, hey, try this, and in two weeks you're going to be better. No, this was an instant, total, miraculous healing, and it all affirmed that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. That God doesn't need time. He has purpose. And He's fulfilling His purposes before our eyes. In verse 17 of chapter 3 it says, And now, Peter's still preaching. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, God is faithful to His Word. God always fulfills His promises. God is faithful and true to His character. He always is. And Peter says in verse 9, Repent therefore. In other words, have a change of mind. It's time to have a change of thinking. He says in verse 19, Repent therefore, turn and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. That He is, he is now, for the second time, He is extending an invitation to all those who are living apart from a relationship with Jesus. And He's telling Him that in the Messiah, and the Messiah alone, Jesus Christ is, listen, Repent, in other words, turn, have a change of mind from your way, your sin, and you turn to Christ. And that it's only through Christ that your sins are blotted out. It's only through Christ that we are forgiven of our sin. Not only that, but he says that you'll be refreshed by the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit. And that Christ is coming again. 
He says in verse 21, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophet long ago, Moses said, now they, they leaned in when, they, when a reference to Moses is being made. These Jews are leaning in, they're listening, and listen to what Peter said. Moses said, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 18, he's quoting the Old Testament, he's bringing it right in front of them. He says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. And what Peter is saying is he's letting them know Christ is the greater Moses. He's the greater Moses. He is the prophet. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is baptizing and the Jewish leaders hear what's going on and they got to go find out what's happening. So they go out there and they're talking to John the Baptist and his camel hair and he's eating eating locusts and he's he's doing the work of God. and, And they're like, hey, are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And he's like, no, I'm not Elijah. And then what do they say? They say, are you the prophet? And what they're saying is, are you the prophet that Moses was talking about in Matthew 18? But he's he's not the prophet. And he knows that he's not the prophet. Later on in John chapter 1, Philip runs to Nathanael. In John chapter 1 verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Christ is the one. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one you've been longing for. He's the one that all the prophets were pointing to, were were sharing about. Christ has come, verse 25 of of chapter 3. Acts, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I love this. Peter saying, God has sent His servant to bless you. God has sent His servant to save you. God has sent His servant to forgive you of your sin. God has sent His servant to refresh you. That God has sent His servant to rescue you. That God has sent His servant to gift you His righteousness because on our own righteousness, we have no chance. It required the holiness of God. And so God gave us Himself in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, there's a powerful couple verses there. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. But I want us to, 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 to listen to these scriptures. It says this, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand 
of the Father. You see, there was, there was no need for any other prophet. Because all the prophets did was point to Christ. And Christ has come. In other words, Christ is the final word. He's the final word. And so we look to Christ. And He is, he is, he is bold, y'all. He is courageous. He is bold. He is on this temple mount here. And He is preaching Jesus. And, and we're kind of wrapping up here in Acts 3, but I'll, I, we're going to get into chapter 4 next week. But i got to at least look at the first couple verses of chapter 4, because look at what it says. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, As they were speaking to the temple, Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many, listen to this, many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came about 5,000. Everyday conversation. <laughs> it's a, it's a, for all intents and purposes, it's an ordinary day in the life of Peter and John. But little do they know. <laughs> little do they know what God has in store. But out of their private devotion and commitment with the Lord, they are living life with a sensitivity to God's activity. At work, God is at work all around. And it was on their way to do something very spiritual, right? To go to church. And it could have been like, oh, I don't have time. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go, let's go. You know, but no, they, they, they stopped. They stopped what they were doing. And they saw this brother and had great compassion on them. And God moved in that way, in such a way that brought a miracle in this brother's life for God's purposes. That's why it happened. That's why, that's why all this happened. But, but, but think about this. It was the one. They, they invested in the one. And I don't know how much time passed, but it, it, it couldn't have been a lot of time. It's the same day. It's a little later in the day. 5,000 people. And you see just God's work. And it's been said, and I'm not sure who said it, but somebody said to do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. Right? Because it is. We can look at our world and the brokenness and, and be like overwhelmed. And what difference, what difference can I make or or you think about, well, I'm just not equipped. I just, no, they were just, they were faithful and they were willing and they were sensitive to what God was doing and they jumped in. And the powerful, the powerful testimony of what happens when we are faithful to the one, you never know how God is going to work. And this is what we see in this text. So I want to just take a moment and I want to encourage the Peter and the Johns who are in the room. And when I say Peter and Johns, I'm referring to those spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. I'm talking to those who are in the room who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking to those who have been rescued by God's grace. I'm talking to those who have been forgiven of their sin. I'm talking to those that, that, that Christ has placed His Spirit in, His presence, and that He's called to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This challenge that God has called us to, to invest in kingdom discipleship. They take the time to invest in this one. And, and, and if anybody could have said, but, but do you know, like I'm not... Listen, Peter denied Christ three times. If there was anybody who could ever said, I'm not worthy, 
I've messed up too bad. I don't know what you know about me. Listen, Christ restores him on that Galilean seashore and he says, you're going to feed my sheep. And that's exactly what he is doing in the power of the Spirit. So what I would encourage us to do, believers in the room, is that we would take these two observations and we would turn them into gospel prayers. And that if we would be encouraged to pray, Heavenly Father, may I live with a sensitivity to your activity in the world around me. Help me to live with an awareness that I know you're at work. I know you're at work. I know you're you're fulfilling your purposes. You've invited me into this great adventure, not in my own strength, but in your strength and the power of your Spirit. Help me to live with the sensitivity. And as an encouragement, that sensitivity is going to come as we privately worship the Lord. Spend time in prayer, tethering His Word around our heart, fellowshipping, sharing life, breaking bread that God help us to have a sensitivity to your activity. And then a second would be, Heavenly Father, would you empower me to be faithful to share the gospel, looking for everyday encounters to have an eternal possibility, that we would pray for boldness and we would pray for courage, that we would have an awareness, and that not only that awareness, but what happened when Peter saw, he jumped in. And he began to share and he began to point people to Jesus. Help us to point people to Jesus. I encourage us all to pray in that way. And and just a reminder, I wanted to just kind of bring this up. I love this little resource. But if you walk outside any of these hallways and find a table, there's a bunch of these that are sitting there. And on the bottom it says, who's your one? But what it is, it's a 30-day prayer guide. And the encouragement is, who is that at least one person that we are consistently praying for to come into a relationship with Jesus. And that who knows what God can do as the ones come to faith in Christ. And what happens is you see the multiplication of kingdom growth. May we be praying, praying, praying. But it could be you are listening and you're here, you're listening online, and you're living apart from a relationship with God. It's possible. It's possible that you relate more with other people in the story, not so much Peter and John. That when you hear this story, you're relating, you're relating more to those who are seeking. You're relating more to those who have questions. You relate more with the people who are longing for peace, longing for satisfaction, searching for hope, longing for refreshment. That's what you're, that's what you're longing for. That's what you're looking for. This beggar was begging for money because... He knows that as long as he can get more coin in his pocket, then maybe at least the next meal will come along and he will be satisfied. But the reality is is there is no satisfaction apart from a relationship with the Messiah, Christ Jesus. That only through Him can you experience forgiveness, experience His grace, refreshment, and experience God's healing in the broken area of our lives. So what I'd like to, to wrap up with is is to share a little testimony. Alright? I'm not going to look at them or point at them or ask them to stand up or anything like that, but there is a family that that is here in our church, uh, Matt and Paige Lane. You might might know them. Alright, I cut my eyes, sorry. I couldn't help it. Uh, But uh, I got permission to talk about them, so I'm good. Um, But but, but Paige, uh, Paige has created a... A, we'll call it a gospel track, her story. 
And it's a way that she can share Jesus with other people. And so she's created this, made this. She's had a Bible verse put on the front, Psalm 61, 2. It says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And on the back, it has a list of churches. And uh, in it, she shares the hope of Jesus. And so I want to read this to you. And if nothing else, for the, the Peter and Johns, the spiritual mothers, the spiritual fathers those who have a relationship with King Jesus, that it's an encouragement to you. But I'll also say, if you relate more to other people in the story, and you're seeking, and you're you're looking, and and you're praying, and you're looking for truth, I want to encourage you with this. She says this, she says, My name is Paige. I think everyone has a story, and everyone's story is important. I want to take a few minutes and share a little of my story with you. When I was a child, I was told that I could say a prayer, and that would get me into heaven. I said the prayer. Years later, as a teenage mom, I decided to go back to church and I discovered that saying a prayer doesn't get anyone into heaven. I learned that God doesn't want us to follow a list of rules. He wants us to follow Jesus. And when this truth was explained to me, I prayed again. And this time I told God that I knew I was a sinner, but I didn't want to live that life anymore. I wanted to live for Jesus. And that prayer was the starting point in my journey with Jesus. It wasn't the prayer that saved me. My faith in Jesus saved me. Like everyone else in the world, I'm a sinner. Is a sin is anything we think, we say, or do that hurts the heart of God. And because of our sin, the Bible says that we have been separated from God and deserve death. Thankfully, God isn't okay with this separation. He made a plan to send His Son, Jesus, to earth to take the place of the death that we deserve. Three days after Jesus died, God raised Him from the dead, and there is no longer separation between God and mankind. If we repent of our sin and make the choice to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we will be saved from the wrath that we deserve. I share this with you because this is the best news ever. No matter what your past or present looks like, God wants you. He made you for a purpose. And He loves you more than you can ever comprehend. He doesn't want you to be separated from Him. The Creator of the world wants a relationship with you. I would love to talk more with you. If you have any questions or just want to talk, please feel free to call or text and share her number. And it's cool. She has a, uh, shares her number with the ladies and with the guy track, she'll hand it give her husband's number and, and, and passes that along. But, but I love this testimony. And it's just an encouragement that what matters most, what matters more than anything is a relationship with King Jesus. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I encourage you that today would be the day that as Peter challenged those Jews on that 32-acre temple complex to repent, so that your sins will be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come for the Lord. And I just wonder how many people are here living apart from a relationship, longing for times of refreshing from the Lord. And be encouraged that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So I'm going to pray for us and and in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing a, a song of response. And, and I, I want you all to feel comfortable, okay? I, I want you to know this time of response, 
as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, it can look a million different ways. But I always want you to know that the altar is always open if you feel led in any way just to come and pray. That we have pastors that are going to be around and, and even standing here that if you just want somebody to pray over you, pray for you, that would be a blessing. And maybe right there that you just want to turn that chair you're in, that pew, into an altar and you, you pray and, 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 and worship and but, but just let's, let's, let's focus our hearts on the Lord and see how the Lord would want to move in our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this day. God, thank You so much for Acts chapter 3. Thank You so much for uh, just this testimony in Scripture. This, this incredible miracle that set off this chain of events that that Peter and John had no way of knowing what was coming. But God, you worked. You worked. God, you're always at work. And you're always fulfilling your purposes. And so God, as believers, may we be sensitive to your work around us and may you grant us the boldness and courageous and the, the courage to point people to you. And Father, again, just to know the invitation is always there. For anyone who is living apart from a relationship with King Jesus, that He invites you into this relationship. The Bible says that it is by grace through faith that you're saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, who God raised from the dead. So, Father, I pray today, if there's anyone who doesn't have a relationship with you, today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you and we praise you. God, make our hearts tender to you, sensitive to you, and obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.